This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. It's so important to understand that the family is God's plan to make a nation, a nation under God, and to make it a great nation. We so often look at commandment five, honor your father and your mother. We apply that by saying when mom says to clean your room, you go clean your room. That is not what the commandment is about. That misses the meaning of it, totally. Because it says, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land. And that means when mom and dad together pass on godly truth, principles from the word of God to their children, and those children believe and live those principles, and it happens generationally, you are going to have a strong land. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, is not about cleaning your room. The fifth commandment is about what makes a nation strong. And what makes a nation strong is mom and dad passing on godly values to children, children living them, and passing them on generationally to their children. That's what that commandment's about. And then God will bless your land as he has blessed this land for so many years. And you can see it right now. We depart from those principles. God releases his grip of blessing, doesn't he? It's exactly what's happening. You know, the whole big deal behind this sermon series, the nation is as strong as the family. Now, God, tell you something, guys, too. Satan knows that. The nation is only as strong as the family. And um, he's going to throw everything at us, everything he has at us, to divide the families, to mess your family up. And that's why you have dads who are the provider and the protector for their families, who are, who are supposed to um, alert you to those lies and get you involved in that word of God so we can say no to them. Now, I want to show you, I want to illustrate that principle that um, dads are the provider and protector of that family because you remember how the man and woman fell into sin. So Eve ate the fruit, she gave it to her husband, he ate, but she ate first, and the Bible always blames Adam. Why? Because Adam, according to God's plan, is the provider and protector, and he should have been there to tell his wife, don't listen to that serpent. He's telling you all this garbage, that you're going to be like God, that you're going to go good from evil. Come on, Eve, we're leaving. And Adam didn't do that. And so God pronounced a curse on the whole creation. He pronounced a curse on the serpent. He pronounced a curse on the woman. He pronounced a curse on the land. He pronounced a curse on the man. Four different curses, okay? I just look at the curse on the woman, Genesis 3.16. Look at the wisdom of God here, too, because he establishes the roles in the home. 
Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire, and the word desire is a one of a time, no, two of a time Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It means a desire to rule, a desire to control. So it reads like this, your desire will be to rule over your husband and he will rule over you. And that's nothing but frustration. But notice, notice, the whole deal with the lady or with the woman, with the wife, is it's all about children, husband, and home. Then you get to verse 17 of Genesis 3. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I told you you can't eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you, and so even the land is cursed, the whole creation is cursed, and when you read Romans 8.21, the whole creation, including the land, is crying out for deliverance from this decay, and this tendency toward decay and destruction and death. The curse on the man, Genesis 3.17, through painful toil you will eat of it, meaning the land, all the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. From now on, after sin, the world would be a thorn-thistle world, meaning a world hostile to the things of God. And then the Bible goes on to say, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from the ground you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. And the curse on the man includes him going out into a hostile thorn-thistle world, and through painful toil, sweat, and work, he's the guy that's out in that thorn-thistle world primarily. I know women work, and I'm not knocking it. But I'm saying that the primary responsibility to be out there in the world and provide for protect his family is the man's. And he's got through painful toil, sweat, and hard work. So in God's wisdom, he gave different roles to the man and to the woman, okay? Now, in God's wisdom, the mom and the wife is responsible to make that home a refuge from the thorn-thistle world. And man, how we need that refuge. God gave the man... He gave the man the responsibility to go out into that thorn-thistle world. And for us, that means today that most people will not think like you if you are a true born-again believer. Guys, and you're out in that world, or ladies, you're out in that world. The world is not going to think like you. And your kids go to school and they hear stuff from teacher and other students. That's the opposite of what the Bible says. And that's that thorn-thistle world. And the family needs to look forward to coming home as a place of refuge where there is love, where there's acceptance, where there's good food, where there's cleanliness, where you talk, where you laugh, where you hug, where you care about each other, where, you're, where you help and where you sacrifice for each other. That's the place of refuge. Everybody needs to look forward to that, and we have to work at creating that. And it's not always going to be a beautiful world. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes you're going to have to be lovingly critical. The Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 6, true love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. True love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. So if you love somebody in your family, and they're walking out of step with the truth and the word of God, 
You can't delight in that. You can't rejoice in that relationship. In love, you have to address the issue. Let me read it again. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. And so you have to address that issue so people start walking in the truth of God's word. And you care about how they present themselves, see? And you address it in love. Now listen, here's what's going to happen. When you address that issue, the person is going to get defensive. And I do that when my wife addresses the issue. And you'll go pout and you'll isolate yourself for a little while. And I do that too. But then you're going to think, they love me and they care about me and they care about the fact that I'm walking in step with the truth of God's word and I'm presenting myself and my Savior the best way I possibly can in the world. And you hug your husband or your wife or your kids and maybe you shed some tears because they know, and you know what they're going to know, they're going to know this, they're going to know they're in a safe environment where people love each other. And that safe environment is so, so important. And we all have to work at that, everybody. But I got to say, in God's plan, Mom, that's the role that God gave you. You are the primary one to make that home a refuge. And Dad's your primary responsibility to protect your wife and go out in the world of thorns and thistles. So I call this message, In But Not Of The World. In But Not Of The World. And as for dads, who by God's design have to be in that world, providing and protecting for their family, but in one way or another, we all have to be in that world. So this is kind of an across-the-board application. And we see this in the world, but not of the world thing in John 17. And this is one of the great prayers of the Bible. This is Jesus' personal prayer to his Father. And it's a family prayer. He is praying for his own family of disciples that he handpicked. Up to, up to verse 17 of John 17, Jesus prays for his family of disciples. And then in verses 19 to 26, he prays for all believers. And you've got to turn to that in John 17. And what's going on here is really... An emotional moment in the life of our Lord. He gathered his family, his disciples, in the upper room in the home of one of his followers. And he celebrates the Passover meal with these guys. And this is Luke 22. Now Luke 22, verse 15, he said to them, would you notice the emotion in his voice? Would you notice the emotion here? Luke 22, 15, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, guys, I'm not going to have another meal with you. We're not going to eat again in this world until I set up my millennial kingdom. And I love you guys. This tells me something that we need to know. This Jesus is the Son of God who spoke creation into being. He's God Almighty. And he came into this world as a man with real feelings. You have to know who Jesus is. I questioned two girls this morning, and, and I said the major question anybody ever going to ask you is, who is Jesus Christ? And, and the only correct answer to that question is, who is Jesus Christ is, he is both true God and true man in the same person at the same time. We can't say he's only God, we can't say he's only man, like the world says. He is God and man in the same person at the same time, he handpicked his family of disciples. And remember, he had a human nature. And I think it hurt him when Judas betrayed him. 
Betrayal by someone you love always hurts. And Jesus hurt. Please get this. Just because he went back into heaven doesn't mean he doesn't feel with you or he doesn't identify with you. And so he's got just a few hours left with this family of disciples. What's he going to do? He's going to try and teach them all the stuff they need to know. And so what does he do? He washes their feet. He says, you guys got to be servants out there in the world. You're there to serve, not to be served. And he tells them there's chapters in John 15, 16 about the Holy Spirit. And he says, guys, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will fill you. And he will be your strength. And so live by the power of the Spirit, not by the power of the flesh, because the flesh doesn't have any power. So these were special moments. You know what I see? I see Jesus fighting back the tears because he knew that things from here on would be different. And this was his family. Then, just before they leave for the Garden of Gethsemane that night, and a crowd comes to take Jesus, I see Jesus going outside after he taught his disciples, celebrated the Passover, I see him going outside, looking to the sky, just taking a breather, and he talks to his father about his family. Guys, I'm saying this because you need to pray stuff like this for your family. I'm looking at um, John 17, verse 13. I'm coming to you now, talking to his father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And so Jesus' prayer for his family is that they may have the full measure of my joy. And here's how I understand the biblical definition of joy. And remember what Jesus prayed. I want those guys to have the full measure of my joy. Joy is that you know, and, and, and folks, it's more than know. It, it's you believe. You believe you are so connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing can ever break that connection. You can be financially set or struggling financially. There's people in this church with so much physical pain. And you can have pain or be pain-free. And you can still have that joy, Jesus says, within them, within yourself. But listen, when you are connected like that to the Lord and you have internal joy, that joy has to get out. You, 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 you can't be gloomy if you have the joy of the Lord in your heart. You're going to talk to people, and you're going to talk about stuff going on in their lives, and you're going to be positive. You're not going to be negative. You want to put a hopeful spin on that thing because Jesus' joy is internal, and it's got to be external. And I'll tell you what, the look on your face is a big deal, man. You've got to practice smiling, not frowning. I've got to be really concerned about that, man. Philippians, all you got to do is read Philippians. Underline joy every time you see it. You'll wear your pencil out. Listen, Paul says in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. You're connected to him if, in fact, you are a believer. And the foundation of your life could be crumbling, but Paul says you rejoice not in circumstances, you rejoice in the Lord. You're connected to him. And that's what our Lord prayed for his disciples. Man, you guys pray that for each other. And then he said, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Rejoice in the Lord always. 
So let's go back to um, John 17. And remember, this is Jesus winding up a very emotional night. The last real close family time he's having with his disciples. He's walking and talking to his father. And in 14 of John 17, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. They're in the world, but not of the world. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Listen, when we live our faith, that, that's got to be convicting to unsaved people. Because they like to think they can live by their own rules, not by God's word. And when you start living the principles of your faith drawn from God's word, and they're not, they're going to look at you and that's going to be convicting to them and they're going to hate you. And I didn't say that. Jesus says that. They're going to reject you. They don't like to think that they're going to be held accountable before a holy God for how they live. And then you tell them kindly. And you pray about these moments to tell them. And I pray you do this, that there is no other way to heaven. I asked the girls standing here this morning, I had a couple of girls, and we anyway, I asked the girls, what's the one thing above all else that you're going to, that you're going to have to defend as part of your faith. And they both said, the fact that Jesus Christ is the only exclusive way to heaven. There's no, there's no way to heaven but through Christ. And when you do that, the world's going to hate you. And then Jesus says, verse 14, I've given them your word. The world has hated them. They're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He just said, Father, don't take them out of this world. Don't take them away from the anger and the hate toward, toward my name. But keep them from buying into the world. Keep them from accepting the world's values because the devil wants you to buy into the world, I'll tell you. Keep them from Satan. Folks, we're in the world, but we can't be of the world now. You're getting to one of the most important passages in the whole Bible, I'll tell you. How do you not buy into the world and not accept the world's values? This is, this is so important. John 17, 17. That's our memory work today. I, I pray you memorize this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart. He says, Father, set these guys apart from the world by getting them into your word, which is absolute truth. Now, now we can get into this. Dads who provide for and protect their families and all of us who have to go out into what Genesis 3.18 calls a thorn thistle world, a hostile world. But you live by your principles. We're set apart or sanctified by the biblical principles ingrained in our hearts. Now I've got to tell you what that does. That earns respect. I looked in the dictionary for the definition of respect. It means, and I quote, to esteem and hold in high regard. 
I was writing this, I think it was last Tuesday, and I said, next to my Lord himself, who is a man that people respected in the word of God? And immediately Daniel came to my mind because Daniel was about 15 years old when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and conquered the Jews and they deported the Jews back to Babylon. And Daniel was a man of high principle. And the kings of Babylon over the years saw the man of principle Daniel was and the wisdom that God had given him and they elevated him to positions of leadership and oversight in the kingdom that were very high positions. And Daniel, now let me tell you about Daniel. He, lived, uh, he was in this pagan country where there were pagan shrines to idols everywhere. He lived by his godly principles. Man, he studied the word of God every day. And dads are out of that world. And man, you've got to come back and get into that word of God. He studied the word of God every day. He prayed daily. He earned the respect of every king of Babylon. And each king gave him a higher and higher position of oversight. And in Daniel chapter 6, the king is now a Persian. Persia had conquered Babylon. And Daniel is still in a very high position. And all those other governors hated Daniel. They hated him for his God. They hated him for everything. And so they go to the king and they really schmooze the king. And they say, O King Darius, D-A-I-R-U-S, O King Darius, you are such a great man. We've got all these temples to idols. Why not have people pray to you? You're better than any of those gods. And if they won't pray to you and you alone for 30 days, hey, we'll just throw them into a den of starving lions. And the king likes that. He says, yeah. And he puts his ring to it. And it's an irrevocable edict, see? And the king knew he had been had. Daniel was a man of prayer, I'll tell you. Verse 10, Daniel 6. When Daniel learned the decree that had been published, that he could be thrown into the lion's den, he went home to his upstairs room. Here's what he did. Went to his room, opened, opened the windows toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had always done. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel pray, praying and, ask, and asking God for help. And so they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, the decree stands. And they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. He still prays three times a day. And it says when the king heard that man, he knew he had been had. He knew he was greatly distressed. So you know the story. They throw Daniel in the lion's den. And the first guy to come to that lion's pit in the morning is this king Darius. And this is verse 20. He calls into the lion's pit. He called in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels. And that angel shut the, lie the mouth of the lions. 
and they haven't hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And the king rejoiced. And listen, listen, this guy's heart was changing. His heart was changing because a man lived his principles. And um, he sent out this edict to the whole nation in Daniel 7, verse 26. He's issued a decree in every part of my kingdom that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Listen, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues. He saves. He performs signs and wonders. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. See, Daniel was in the world interacting with non-believing people, and he gave them everything to respect living his convictions. How many of you folks are out there in that world are you giving people something to respect, living your convictions? That's exactly what Jesus prayed for his disciples. Don't take them out of this world. They've got to be in the world, but protect them from the evil one. Listen now, we especially dads and students and all of us, we go into that world every day. So how do we keep up becoming part of the world when we're in the world? And then you get to this key passage in God's word. Sanctify, it means set apart. Sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart from the world by your truth. Man! Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.